0: in Matthew chapter 20. I'll be reading verses 25 and 26 as you see on the screen there. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. But Jesus called them unto Him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Servants, Serve." We claim to be servants of the Most High God, and one of our jobs as servants of the Most High God is to serve. And so that's where we will be spending our time looking today. Now, we don't know a lot about servants in the United States anymore. Uh, You know, people, butlers and all that kind of stuff, we don't really know a lot about that. But when we go to the restaurant, you know, the waiter, the waitress, we call them a server. And so based on that, there was a trucker who stopped in a diner for some supper. Now the waitress brings his food to the counter just as a motorcycle gang enters. One of the gang members eats the trucker's hamburger. Another gang member drinks the trucker's coffee. And another gang member eats the trucker's slice of pie. The trucker says nothing. He pays the waitress and he leaves. Well, one of the gang members says to the waitress, he's not much of a man, is he? And the waitress says, well, he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over a bunch of motorcycles. (laughs) I know, it's old. It's old, old, but it's funny. (laughs) All right, so let's look this morning at servants serve. Servants serve. First of all, looking at the explanation. James and John's mother, now these are a couple of the apostles now. James and John's mother has just made a request of Jesus in verse 20. And here's the request. She says, let my son sit on either side of your throne. When you come into your kingdom, I want one son on the right and one son on the left. She makes this request of Jesus. And this request upset the other disciples. Look in verse 24. It says, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. Now, why were they so upset that this mom asked the question? Well, maybe because James and John used their mother. They were afraid to ask Jesus, so they said, Hey, Mom, do us a favor. Go ask Jesus. He can't turn you down. Or maybe, more likely, they were upset because they didn't think of it first. But whatever the reason is, James and John's mom asked for her sons to be on either side of Jesus on the throne. And it upset the other disciples. But here's one good thing we can say about this mom and her sons. They believed in Jesus' coming kingdom. They knew one day Jesus would be on a throne. They didn't know when it was going to be, but they knew it was coming and they believed it was coming. And they were right. For I'm here to tell you that one day Jesus will reign for 1,000 years on this earth. As I so often say, the Prince of Peace will rule over this earth at peace from the city of peace, Jerusalem. And so you might want to fault them for getting their mom to ask a favor for even wanting to sit on either side of Jesus. But the fact of the matter, they believed in Jesus' coming kingdom. So do I, and so should you. It's coming. It's coming. But notice how Jesus responds to this request in verse Verse 23. He said, these are not my positions to grant. He said, it's not my job to say who's going to sit at my right hand and who's going to sit at my left hand. Now don't misunderstand. Jesus was co-equal with God the Father. But Jesus was functionally subservient to the Father during His earthly incarnation. So while Jesus was on this earth as a man, God incarnate, He was functionally subservient to the Father. And so in that moment, when He's being asked... If uh, James can sit on one side and John on the other, he said, you know what? I can't make that decision. That belongs to my father because he was functionally subservient during his earthly incarnation. Anyway, catch this. Being in Jesus' kingdom is what matters, not sitting on the right or the left. I don't care if I sit on the right. I don't care if I sit on the left. I don't care if you sit on the right. I don't care if you sit on the left. I just want to make sure we're all there in his kingdom. That's what matters. Who cares? Who cares? Who sits where? As long as we're there. But let me pause and say this. Make sure you are in His kingdom. Make sure you are in His kingdom by grace through faith. Not because you're a member of the church. Not because you've been baptized. Not because you put money in the offering plate. Not because you serve on a committee or something. Not because you're a good person. Make sure you are in His kingdom by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then sit wherever you want. I don't care. I'll be clear in the back if that's where I need to be as long as I'm in the kingdom. And then Jesus goes on to explain the obvious. He says Gentiles or unbelievers, they define greatness as having dominion and authority That's what we read in verse 25. They define greatness as having dominion and having authority. And you know, nothing has changed. The world still defines greatness as being in charge of others. The world still defines greatness as having servants, whether having servants at home doing your chores or having servants at work working under you as the manager. The more people you have under you, the greater you are as far as the world is concerned. It's not wrong to be in charge. It's not wrong to be the boss. It's not wrong to be a manager. Somebody has to be. It's wrong to be prideful about your position. It's wrong to belittle others from your position. It's wrong to find your value in your authority. The fact that you have a lot of people that work for you, nothing wrong with that. Unless you're prideful about it. Unless you belittle others under you from that position unless you find your value in that aspect of authority that you have. So Jesus gives this explanation. Again, James and John's mom just said, Hey, I want I want one son on this side and one son on that side. He said, Well, I can't give that to you, but let me teach you about the Gentiles, about the pagans, about the unbelievers. They think it's really something to be in authority. They think it's really something to be in dominion. But notice after the explanation comes the exception." Believers are not to be like the world. Look in verse 26. I love this. But it shall not be so among you. He said, yeah, that's how the Gentiles look at it. That's how the unbelievers look at it. He said, but here's you're to be the exception. You are not to be like that. It shall not be so among you. You see, we are not to be concerned about being served by others. We are to be concerned about serving others ourselves. Notice in verse 26, Jesus uses the word minister. He said, it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Now that word minister is the Greek word diakono, and diakono means servant. So what he says is, whoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. Jesus founded his church as a servant, and he determined his church would be led by servants. You call me your minister, that word means, even in English, means servant. And we also have deacons here at church. And that word deacon means servant. It's that word diacono, which I mentioned just a second ago. And so Jesus founded his church as a servant. And he determined his church would be led by servants. Again, minister means servant. Deacon means servant. And the deacons were originally chosen to serve tables. You probably know this from Acts chapter 6. But let me read you verses 1 through 3. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, whom we may appoint over this business. And so the original deacons, not only does the word mean servant, but their job was to wait on tables. Servant. Deacons are not bosses. Deacons are servant leaders. Now I know in some churches you go to, deacons are bosses. They tell you what to wear. They tell you all kind of stuff. Not here. Our deacons are servants. They are servant leaders. Pastors come and go, but deacons are ordained to stay. And because of that, deacons are to provide stability with or without a pastor by serving you, the congregation. And while being a deacon is a position of honor, never forget, it is a place of service. Well, notice in verse 27, Jesus uses another word. Now, he used minister in verse 26, but in verse 27, he uses the word servant. He said, whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. Now, that word servant there in the Greek means slave. So minister means servant, and servant means slave. And so Jesus is really getting down to brass tacks here. He said, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. He said, you want to be chief, you need to be a slave. That means that we as believers are exempt from no menial task. We are exempt from no menial task. Now, we don't have slaves, obviously, in our country anymore. long time ago we did. But I think we understand what slaves did. Slaves did whatever their masters told them to do. Whether it was something the slave wanted to do or something the slave didn't want to do, it didn't matter. They had to do it. And it could have been a nasty, disgusting job. Didn't matter. You did as a slave what you were told to do. Jesus says if you're going to be chief, you need to be a slave. And that means we as believers are exempt from no menial task. There is no task, there is no job too low for us to do. Remember, we were purchased by Christ, we are owned by Christ. And we are called to be servants of Christ. Just like a slave. Slaves were purchased. Slaves were owned. We were purchased by Christ. We are owned by Christ. We are to be servants of Christ. Look at one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Watch. You are bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought by a price. I'm not my own. I've been bought by a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God. We were purchased by Christ. We're owned by Christ. And we're called to be servants of Christ. And so let's talk about what our goals as believers should be. Our goals as believers, number one, our first goal is to be great in God's eyes, not in man's eyes. Now you want to be great in man's eyes? Go get a job or start your own business. Get a bunch of people working for you and just boss them and belittle them from that position. The world will say, Wow, you're great. But our goal as believers should be to be great in God's eyes, not man's eyes. Secondly, our goal is to be servants. Servants of God and servants of man. And remember this, what Jesus taught. When we serve others, we actually serve God. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 25 and verse 40. But let me give you the background for this. Jesus is telling a story. And he says, listen, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. And the people say, well, when did we ever see you naked? Uh, when did we ever see you thirsty? When did ever we ever see you hungry? And look, he picks up here. And the king shall answer and say unto them, truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so goal number two for us as believers is to be servants of God and servants of man. But when we serve man, we serve God. And we are to be servants everywhere we go. Be a servant at home. Be a servant at work. Be a servant at school. Be a servant at church. Let me ask you a very pointed question this morning. Whom will you serve today? Whom will you serve today? You say, well, I serve my spouse every day. I serve my children every day. What about your neighbor? Well, yeah, I do him favors and he does me favors. I serve him, he serves me. What about a stranger? Whom will you serve today? And every day when you get up, ask yourself that question. Whom will I serve today? Again, we expect you would serve your spouse. We expect you would serve your children. Maybe even your neighbor. But what about a stranger? Every day, get up. Whom will I serve today? And so our goals as believers, number one, to be great in God's eyes, not man's eyes. Number two, to be servants of God and man, knowing when we serve man, we serve God. And thirdly, to be used by God to bring salvation to many. Look down at verse 28. Jesus is talking about his own ministry. But we need to learn from that. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. How Jesus served brought many to faith in Him. And you and I can't serve in that way. We don't die on the cross for anybody. But we are to let God use us to share the good news of Jesus Christ that they may be brought to salvation as well. So we see the explanation. James and John's mom... Ask Jesus, hey, let my son sit on one side, sit on the other. And Jesus said, well, you know, I can't do that right now. That's not my authority right now. But anyway, let me use that as an opportunity to talk about the Gentiles. They think they're great if they got a lot of people working for them, and they look down on them from there. And then we see the exception. Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. You want to be great? You need to be a servant. You want to be chief? You need to be a slave. And so now lastly, let's look at the exemplification The exemplification. Jesus set the example of serving others. So God didn't just tell us we are to serve others. But He sent His own Son who was God in the flesh to set the example for us by serving others. Think about what Jesus did. He fed the multitudes. He healed the sick. He taught the ignorant. He loved the unlovable. And then, so amazing, so amazing, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Now, why is that so amazing? Well, he was serving the multitude when he fed them. He was serving the sick when he healed them. He was serving the ignorant when he taught them. He was serving the unlovable when he loved them. But when Jesus got down on his hands and knees and did the lowliest servant slave's job that existed at the time, He was showing just how far our service is to go. As I said before, there is no menial task too low for a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me show you where John gives it to us in John 13, beginning in verse 4. Talking about Jesus, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded, doing the lowliest job of that time period that could exist. And Jesus did it. Jesus set the example of serving others, even wiping his disciples' filthy feet. Again, there is no task too menial for a follower of Christ. Now, some churches look at this passage and they say, well, we need to follow the example that Jesus set. Because right after he does this, I don't know if you know what he said, but he said, as you've seen me do, now go and do likewise. You go do the same. And so churches say, well, that means we have to wash each other's feet. Now, they won't do it every Sunday, but maybe once or twice a year, they'll wash each other's feet. And then they think, well, that's good. We fulfilled what Jesus said to do. They miss the point. Washing the disciples' feet was the lowliest job, the lowliest area of service that Jesus could have performed. And so what he's saying here is not that we need to get together and wash each other's feet. What he's saying is we need to get together and not be afraid of doing the lowliest job necessary to help our brother or sister in Christ, whatever that might be. You see, if you just limit this passage just to the washing of feet, you miss Jesus' big picture of serving others and doing even the most menial of tasks for them. Now think about it. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He is perfect. He is God. And yet He's the one getting down on His hands and knees. He's the one getting down and wiping the grime from between the toes of His disciples. And as I mentioned in the children's message, Jesus even died serving. When he went to the cross, he was still serving. His death paid the sin debt of all who would believe. Now look down in verse 28, where Jesus says, I want to point out two words. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to focus on the word ransom and the word for. First of all, that word ransom in Greek refers to the price paid to free a slave. So if somebody was a slave and somebody wanted to free them, they had to pay that price. That was called a ransom. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and I'm going to be the ransom. I'm going to be the price to free this slave. Well, how are we slaves? I thought we were free as Americans. We're born slaves to sin. He that Jesus paid the ransom. Then what about that little three-letter word for? Why do I want to focus on that? Because that word in Greek means instead of or in place of. So Jesus said, "I am the ransom instead of or in place of you and me." He took our place on the cross. We deserve to be on the cross. We're the sinners, not He. He said, "I am going to be the ransom." In the place of, instead of, my people. So Jesus died and in His death, He was serving. But we all know that Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, He rose again from the dead. Guess what? In His resurrection, He was still serving us. For His resurrection defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell for us. He lived a life of service. He died a death of service. He had a resurrection of service. Now, when I said Jesus set the example, I meant it. Everything he did was to serve others. Everything. And Jesus says here in verse 28 this is why he came. He came to serve. And what did he do? He served. And so today, my friends, I want to challenge you let Jesus serve you today. Let Jesus serve you today. Believe on Him and receive Him as your Savior. Believe that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and the third day He rose again from the dead. Believe on Him and receive Him as your Savior. And when you do, you will experience eternal life beginning now. Eternal life doesn't begin one day, someday. Eternal life doesn't begin when we get to heaven. Eternal life begins now. I talked about this at camp this week. I know most of you weren't there. But I also talked about on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. That as believers, we don't ever die. We just transition. We transition from this life to the next. We transition from the temporal to the eternal. But we never die. When you draw your last breath, when your heart beats its last, you just continue living into eternity so let Jesus serve you today believe on him receive him as your savior experience eternal life beginning right now and then once you've been served by him start serving him once you've been served by him once he's saved you and granted you eternal life remember you're now his servant Servants serve so start serving him for the rest of your life? Yes. But don't limit it to the rest of your life. Begin serving Him for the rest of eternity. Let me show you one of the last verses in the Bible. It's not the last, but it's one of the last verses, Revelation 22:3 3. It's talking about heaven. It says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Watch this. And His servants shall serve Him. That's heaven. That's eternity. So yes, you do serve the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of your life, but you serve Him for the rest of eternity. And He's worthy. He's worthy. So this morning we looked at the explanation. Again, James and John's mom says, you know, I want one son on one side and one son on the other. Jesus said, well, I can't do that for you. But let me use this opportunity to tell you about the Gentiles. Uh, They like the positions of honor. They like to be bosses over lots of people and they like to belittle people from their position. He said, here's the exception. It shall not be so among you. If you want to be great in God's eyes, then you need to be a servant. If you want to be chief, you need to be a slave. Meaning there is no menial task that is beyond us as believers in Christ. But how do we know how to serve? I mean, we have these instructions that we are to serve, but how do we know how to serve? Well, that's the exemplification. Jesus exemplified servanthood. He lived His whole life serving. He died His death serving. He rose from the dead serving. You and I are to be servants of his for the rest of our lives, yes, and for all eternity. But before you can be a servant of the Most High God, you need to start at square one. You need to believe on Jesus. You need to receive Jesus as your Savior, believing that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day. And when you truly believe on Him, when you truly receive Him, He's still serving you. But then you can serve Him. And remember, you can serve Him at home. You can serve Him at work. You can serve Him at school. You can serve Him at church because when you serve others, you're serving Him. So I want to ask you again, whom will you serve today? And I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, whom will I serve today? And then the next day, I want you to wake up and say, Whom will I serve today? Spouse? Children? Neighbor? Strangers? Whom will you serve today? But it all starts by being served by the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe Him. Receive Him. Become His servant. And then, go and serve others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the challenge of Your Word. We are to be servants. We're to be slaves. And as Americans, we kind of push back against that. And I love being an American. But I much prefer being a Christian. As so, a Father, may we follow Christ. May we serve one another. May we be slaves to one another. And may you be honored as our Lord and Master. In Jesus' name.